and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 126, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. And how are you, Bonnie lad? Oh, I'm good. I've, I've still got the taste of iron brew in my mouth. <laughs> now, you were, of course, last weekend uh, enjoying a bit of debauchery in Bonnie Glasgow. Oh, yeah. Play Glasgow was amazing. It was really nice to meet people. And oh, it's just, it's a new event in Glasgow, you see. So yeah. I think they've been doing it for about three years now. And it's just kind of gathering momentum at the moment. And we did a little YouTubers talk, which was fantastic. It was kind of tips on how to how to be a YouTuber and what, what to do correctly. And we had uh, Slopes and Kim Justice doing it. Good friends of the show. Yeah. And because I saw a couple of the pictures you put on Facebook, I mean... This is, it must be Scotland's biggest retro gaming event. I think it is, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's it's basically in this giant ice arena um, where they've put the boards down. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it works quite well, actually, because you can climb up the sides and see everything down in the uh, centre. You didn't have to ice skate to the arcade. No, and it's <laughs> in this massive um, into shopping centre as well. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Good stuff to pick up then? Do you get oh, yeah, I, I went mad on some stuff. There was uh, lots of Sega Saturn stuff, actually, I've started getting into. I've got some Game Gear stuff. There was uh, this thing that I've never actually seen at these retro shows before, which is these, like, metal sculptures. Yep. So this guy had made, like, metal versions of gremlins and aliens and stuff, and they look really, really sick. <laughs> I did see a picture you put up of an Atari Jaguar with its original price tag on oh there. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> what was that? Four ninety nine. Nine ninety nine. Nine, yeah, that is yeah. in ten pounds. Yeah, ten pounds in game. And uh, I was saying to him, you know, you've put that on <laughs> legally. You have to sell it for ten pounds. What was he trying to sell it for? Oh god, I think it's like a uh, hundred and something. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I do remember, probably about the turn of the century, about year two thousand, they were selling them off in game and game station for about five ten quid. It's crazy. So, I think it stocked up back then. But today we are going to be bringing you uh, well the panel that you and Kim Justice and Slopes did, Daniel Ibbotson at Play Expo in Glasgow. So as we said, it's kind of, this is tips on how to make it as a retro gaming YouTuber. Yeah, totally. Like, they've also talked about opportunities that they've had outside of YouTube. Yeah. So what YouTube has led on to. I did read something recently that there was, um, you know, when your careers advisor at school asks you what you want to be, probably one of the most popular answers now for kids is, I want to be a YouTuber. It's like one of the main <laughs> careers that people want to do now. Which sounds nuts. I mean, you and I have been doing YouTube for about, what, 10 years? Yeah, you don't want to be a YouTuber. <laughs> no, I I'm, so... I, I'm like enough to take the missus out for dinner once a year or something. Yeah, That's it's so fun. much effort just to edit. You know what I've done? I've bought some... Um, glasses that have cameras in them okay uh, so i can go around markets and then i don't need to hold a camera and film and worry about lighting or anything like that i can just walk about record and that's it just look like a gimp yeah <laughs> but lgr does that in his videos you know, he's filming exactly the, the same pair the same, well they actually look pretty good don't they yeah. they are so if you've ever wanted to get into youtube so i think you know from listening to this panel already one of the main bits of advice is you know just kind of do it Get started Be consistent. With it. Yeah, exactly. So if you want some tips, because I know there are a lot of people that might have been doing YouTube for a long time and thinking, I'm still not making it. What am I doing wrong? What can I do to help? And also, like you said, what it can kind of lead on to as well. So I know um, Kim and Daniel have been working with like Sega recently. Like, you know, yeah. how, how did that happen? And what we had some it? great questions from our Scottish listeners as yeah. well that were there. And I'd just like to thank everybody that I met there. Adam, Kenny, Ian, you know, RGDS guys, like you guys all rock. Thank you so much for coming up and saying hi. You had a bit of a party on Friday night, didn't you? Oh, yeah, we went to Adam's <laughs> house. and uh, Who, Who's it, Adam then? Adam, Adam... I keep always want to say Alan Shearer, but Adam yeah, Shearer, right. yeah. He's he's a mate from um, Play Blackpool. He's always said, oh, I've got this great setup in Glasgow. You have to come and see it. So me and Kim went over on yeah. the Friday and saw it. He's got an arcade machine with, like, all the old Laserdisc games, but with recoil shooting on it and uh, had a big Amiga in the corner, had a driving uh, cab that he was uh, driving, you know, PUBG. Yeah. He oh, was wow. playing PUBG in the driving cab. And you're on Crime Patrol. Crime Patrol. Oh, yes. <laughs> that, that that game is amazing. It was like a police academy, FMV, kind of uh, Mad Dog McCree style. I'd forgotten about that. Cause I I do have it on the 3DO, actually. It's, again, it's, it's a bit like you said, Mad Dog McCree, and it? That kind of early 90s FMV yeah. era. But, yeah. It sounds like you had a fun time, though. Oh, it's great. I'm Can't wait go. till next year. Oh, well, a couple of months' time. We're going to be at Play Expo in London. End of August, aren't we? Yeah, and then we'll be... Back in black at Blackpool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it doesn't stop. So uh, we'll keep you up to date with all of those events on our website, theretrohour.com. Um, and, of course, that is also the place that you can help out this podcast as well. 
Now, we love getting to events. We love meeting people. We love doing this show week in, week out. But the only way that we can do that is uh, thanks to your help because, you know, doing a weekly podcast, getting to these events, it all costs money. But if you'd like to help us out, you can make a little donation into the running of the show. 100% of it all goes back into the running of the podcast. And you'll get a shout in the Hall of Fame. Now, this week, thank you so much, Justin Wilson. Gary Hever. Richard Shannon. And Kevin Anthony. Who all made donations into the running of the podcast. And you can do the same at theretrohour.com. Now, we've got some really good news stories that we need to talk about. But um, first of all, let's give a shout out to our good mates at the uh, Amigos podcast. Oh, yeah. So the Amigos podcast are doing their Amiga fun. For people who might not be familiar with them, they're a weekly Amiga podcast. They're a weekly Amiga podcast. They're from America, so yeah. they do the American perspective. And they kind of cover a game every week. So they, the listeners, they have a listener's choice committee that pick the kind of games and then they cover them. Do a little review. They'll also do the news. But every year they do a 12-hour live stream. So they are playing Amiga games for 12 hours and people pay different amounts. So, like, there's certain bonuses. Like, you can have a a custard pie in one of the guys' faces at one point. Right. (laughs) There's all this different stuff. So you guys can support them by going to everythingamiga.com and checking out Amigafon 2017 because from the 12th of August, 10 a.m. Eastern time, they will be streaming. So you can even donate whilst watching them or anything like that. And all this money goes to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which oh, is, you know, for kids. So if you want to find out more about that, we'll put that link in our show notes at theretrohour.com. And you can make them do anything, I imagine. Uh, with a, with we'll see. Reason. It depends because they get they get uh, drunker over yeah. the time period. So probably by the end, yeah. Yeah, if you've got any sordid ideas, wait until like, you know, you're about 11 hours in. <laughs> So let's talk a bit about Commodore, actually, because I thought this was quite interesting. Um, The Commodore 256 is under construction. The Phonix? Yeah, is it Phonix or Phoenix? I don't know. It's spelled... (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a combination of both, isn't it? So this is, it's a a fan-made project. The idea of this is, what would Commodore have made if the the Amiga never existed, if it didn't come out, and instead they continued the 8-bit line? So we had the, the Commodore 64, the, the 128, and obviously the Commodore 65 was made, you know, a few kind of prototypes leaked out in the early 90s. So kind of if they stuck in, in the uh, 8-bit era then? Yeah, so yeah. essentially make the ultimate 8-bit Commodore machine. That's what this project is. And this is uh, Stephanie Allaire, uh, who's building the Commodore 256, and she reckons that if... You know, they'd, they'd have made this machine. This is what the specs would have been or what we can have now. Her dream Commodore 8-bit machine. So it's got a 65C816 Western Digital CPU. That I read is apparently compatible with the, the one in the Commodore 64. So you can run old software. Um, 256 colors up oh. to a megabyte of memory. And she's saying that, you know, she believes that restriction is the mother of creativity. So she's not trying to go crazy with the specs, but just kind of give you just enough to have a high-end Commodore 8-bit machine. And I guess that will be kind of affordable and stuff like that. And yeah, she, she's kind of right. With restriction, people used to push those demos and those graphics to kind of the absolute limit. I don't know if they'll have the effort to do that these days, but uh, we'll see. Hopefully something will come out of this. Well, again, it's good for, as you said, not only a program and exercise, but also maybe, again, you know, our audience, I imagine, like us, is very nostalgic for that era. Uh, but having a machine that maybe you always kind of craved, even back then, even though the specs might be ridiculously outdated by modern standards, looking at that, it still kind of blows me away. Like, what, 256 colours and a Commodore 8-bit? And it's a nice design as well. Mm. The case looks pretty cool. Yeah, at the moment, there's kind of a mock-up. It's a bit like, it looks a bit like a pizza box kind of case. Like yeah. the old like Next and uh, Sun Workstations had and that kind of thing. So I think it looks pretty cool. At the moment, I'm not sure quite how far into the design of it or when the ETA this thing coming out. But there is a website that we'll link up in our show notes as well. But I think it's cool that people are doing kind of homebrew projects like this. Oh, and she's 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 also talking about how it could work with stuff like Pico 8, which was the uh, pocket chips okay. um, programming language, which I don't know if you've seen it. It's a web-based language that you can kind of program on, but you can use it for 8-bit machines. But some people have created crazy things. I saw a whole voxel landscape created on there by one of the old demo groups. Yeah. Well, it's the thing, it's like we said before, it's that restrictions, isn't it? It's like when you push the limits of something like that, it's impressive. Mm. If you did the same thing on a Windows PC with 16 gigabytes of RAM, it's like, yeah, so. <laughs> but there was also another project, you know, we mentioned the Commodore 65 there. Have you heard about this team who are trying to do a recreation and release the Commodore 65? Uh, yes, I, Mega 65. Yeah, that's those it, yeah. the guys. Yeah, I actually bumped into one of them in Germany. 
And you didn't blag one? <laughs> no, no, well, he was, he was telling me about it, but I don't think there were any available then. I've, I checked out that website, and as someone who's always wanted a Commodore 65, I'm so on board with that. Oh, yeah, and this guy was serious. Like, yeah. He was well into it. He was, uh, you know, explaining all the kind of background behind it and the people that he's talked to, you know, the designers and everything. Well, I worked with uh, Paul Lasser for a bit, who was the designer of the Commodore 65. And he's always a bit reluctant to talk about it. I remember out in Amsterdam, we had a couple of drinks and we were chatting about it then. You know, he loosened up a bit after a whiskey or two to chat a bit more about it. But it's a fascinating story and the fact that, again, it was kind of, it was kind of the holy grail for Commodore collectors, I suppose. So the fact that these machines are starting to come out and even if they are fan-made recreations, the fact that we can do that, you know, that you can make one of those in your bedroom today is like insane, isn't it? It's mad. Now, if you have got an old C64 or maybe a Spectrum and you want to keep it real and go back to using cassette tapes again, you'd think that your options are probably quite limited now. Oh, well, uh, one of our listeners, Chinnyvision, and yeah. if you haven't seen Chinnyvision, I recommend you all subscribe because it's a fantastic channel. Um, he's actually made us aware of this new cassette recorder and he's done a little video on it as well, which is pretty cool. Now, this is the Akai. I remember that name. I didn't do samplers and all that back in now, the day. Now, I think this is a rebranding, a yeah. rebadge, you know. Like Polaroid is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, It's got to be, hasn't it? Um, but it sounds high-end when you say Akai, doesn't it? It's like, oh, wow. An A61024 portable cassette recorder with built-in microphone. Uh, what is important is, though, that it's actually got a mic jack in there and also a 2.5mm remote control jack which back in the day, I remember I used to use one on uh, an Acorn Electron. And what it would mean is when, say, for example, you've got a, a game that loads in several parts on the, on the tape, the computer can actually control it and pause the tape, yeah. which, you know, if you didn't have that, the tape would just run to the end, then you can't really continue your game. So they're actually quite rare to get on, you know, the kind of modern implementations of cassette recorders. So for retro systems, this is perfect, really. It is. And, you know, they say a lot about modern tape recorders. They say that the heads are rubbish quality yeah. compared to the old ones and you know a lot of people in the comments of this video that he has is saying will it actually run the games because you know this is a, a cheap kind of modern tacky thing and uh he says it really does yeah, yeah it actually runs them and uh it seems to be quite interesting that they're selling this in Asda as well. Yeah, because, I mean, Asda, he said you can pick them up for about 15 quid in your local Asda, which is, like, a bargain. I haven't seen any of my local Asda, so I'm not sure if it's all of them. But, you know, the fact that you can walk in and just buy a cassette recorder in 2018. That's mad. I was in Audi the other day, and they had stacks of uh, record decks. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> we, we got staples over the back here from where we work. I went in and bought some floppy disks the other week. Probably been on the shelf for about 10 years. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you do know where to look, you can get them. But again, I mean, we've actually got a link if you can't find it in your local Asda or you live outside the UK. They do actually sell these on Amazon. So we'll put a link in our show notes with our affiliate link if you want to help out the show. That will help us out. And you can actually buy cassette tapes on there new as well. So if you want to recreate that kind of 80s experience and not go down the flashcard route and all that, because some people like to keep it OG. Yeah, have the uh, cup of tea waiting whilst you're loading. You know? yeah, go and have dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll link you up in the show notes at theretrohour.com. Speaking of spending, you're going to buy one of these uh, hipster pong machines then, Rafi? Yeah, so we always cover this company, which is Love Holton, uh, that seem to make these very expensive... You just want one. <laughs> I, I want all their stuff that they make, to be honest, but not at the price. <laughs> um, so this machine is uh, based on the original Pong unit. Now, this original Pong unit uh, is very interesting. They used to use a little, what was it, baking tray yeah. for uh, bread at the back, and all the serial numbers would be fake as well because Atari would pretend they had more machines to their competitors. Well, we had Nolan Bushnell on, didn't we, last year? And he yeah. was explaining how, uh, you know, it was all pretty much cobbled together from parts. I think when he said when you put money in the slot, it actually fell into a milk carton. Yeah. And, you, and it yeah. overflowed. <laughs> like <that. laughs> Too again. But it is that iconic, like, yellow bezel design, isn't it? Yeah. So um, this is being made for 50 units, yeah. a limited edition. It's called the Origin X. It's wall-mounted as well, which I find quite a disappointment that it's wall-mounted. If you're going to be spending, oh, God, what is it? 3,416 <laughs> euros. Yeah, you think it would be a bit better than <laughs> wall-mounted. But, but it, it looks well-made. It looks well-made, um, has a virtual machine that can store up to 10,000 games. Yeah, so essentially it's a, a MAME emulator, isn't it? Yes, but it has an LCD screen. And what they've done with the LCD screen is they've done barrel distortion effects to mimic the CRT. I don't like that, personally. I think if, if you're spending that much, 
get an old CRT or get a new CRT and put it in if they're making them. You know, I always wonder with these, again, like you said, they're only going to make 50 of them. So they're really aiming these, I suppose, maybe art installations or maybe really high-end fancy hipster bars, that kind of thing. Yeah, because I don't think it's going to be for the hardcore Pongy because no. it's not very accurate. It's like a weird... Um... A uh, bastard version of Pong or <laughs> yeah. something, you know. And again, it's if you were paying nearly four grand for one of these, you wouldn't want to whack around that joystick and all that, playing all these games in fear of breaking it, would you? Totally. And even though, you know, we, we can't afford one of these and we, we have no, no intention of buying one, it doesn't mean that you can't appreciate a good project, though. And, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and if anybody does sell one on eBay in the future and it gets reduced a lot, I might go for one. It's very cool, though. I think... Just from, I mean, you've got to look at this as a piece of art, haven't you? Really, I suppose. Definitely, and I think all the things that they've produced, they're not, they're not going to be like, you know, that we covered their joystick thing, and yeah. you're not going to take that to the pub or <laughs> like <laughs> at work and have it whilst you're doing lunch. You know, it's going to be at home in your swanky apartments, isn't it? Yeah, sealed away. Yeah, yeah. you probably are better friends than we do anyway. If you live in that kind of place, yeah, we'd just come over and spill <laughs> beer all over it. So here's something I thought I'd never see: Unreal Tournament has been... Now, we, you know when we say backported, you think, oh, they, you know, they made it run on, like, a, an iPhone or something like that. Should be cool enough. I never thought I'd see a real tournament running on an Atari 2600. Yeah, this is crazy. Like, um, a real tournament is one of my favourite games. And we saw recently... Well, actually, Ed Fries did yeah. a, a version of Halo 2600. Yeah. And that was insanely good. Now, a real tournament's a bit harder to do. But you have different game modes. So you've got Catch of the Flag, yep. where you've got two little flags and the guys are running after each other. And then I think you've got Deathmatch and stuff, but also the music's really cool if, if you'd like to play a bit. Do you want to have a listen to... So this is the music playing on Unreal Tournament 2600. Even having in-game music on the Atari 2600 is impressive. And it says, uh, you know... Two players minimum, but yeah. six are supported in it. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. It's currently open beta, so, you know, your feedback kind of counts. The thing about it is, Unreal Tournament was, it was quite a high-end 3D game when it came out, wasn't it? It was, like, more advanced than Quake, and you're not going to get 3D on the Atari 2600. So well, I think I think what they're going to do in this is because a uh, main feature with Unreal Tournament was the different variety of weapons. Yeah. So I think they may have different kind of little pixels that come out or the weapons will work in different ways because I remember there's this one where you had the kind of green blobs yeah. that you could drop down and they'd all explode maybe that would work well well it's still got that kind of cyberpunk corporate sponsored deathmatch vibe you know according to this article here in Boing Boing and looking at it again it, it is a flat kind of 2D maze game and you've got your pixelated characters running around but watching it you can kind of feel a similar kind of adrenaline running away from the other player and yeah, catching them. Yeah, you're and not going to so. be able to rocket jump, but you can yeah. still get the thrill of fighting in a in a in an arena. And what they're saying at the moment is you can actually play it online in a web browser or via an emulator. But they are hoping that they're going to get these released on physical cartridges. Oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. So, or if you've got a flash card, you can put it on your. Because we've system. been we were actually talking last week about these uh, 2600 releases, and you know, uh, official and non-official and. They're all really great, aren't they? And there's a lot of love for that machine. Yeah, and it seems to be increasingly so, I think. I think people, again, it's getting back to what we said before, it's like creativity with limitations, isn't it? It's like you can't really get a much more limited system. If you can do something impressive on that, then you are really hardcore, aren't you? Let's be fair. Now, before we get into the uh, the panel that you recorded at Play Expo in Glasgow, uh, talking about how to be a YouTuber, a successful retro gaming YouTuber, let's talk a bit about Sega's latest project. Well, Sega had a huge announcement at E3, and I'm sure you're all really eager to hear about what it is. Now, Sega are making new hardware. <laughs> new, <laughs> yeah, new hardware, but it's not for your um, TV, it's for your kitchen. Yeah. Sega are crowdfunding a Sonic the Hedgehog toaster. <laughs> <laughs> now, before you laugh at this, which was my first reaction as well, have you seen this toaster? <laughs> this is this is like the thing. I sent you the message and I said, look at this. And then Dan's like, I really want one of those. So I want to know what's changed since you first saw it. Well, looking at it, it looks like, you know, the kind of metal brush toaster you could buy in your local supermarket okay. with Sonic the Hedgehog's head stamped on the side of it. It's kind of that more modern Dreamcast era Sonic. Um, you know, there's more spiky hair. Yeah. But also, do you want the killer feature of there's this new... Sonic Adventures Sonic, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more that era. But do you want the really groundbreaking feature of this toaster? It will burn Sonic's head into your toast. 
in the centre. Does it make you eat it faster? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think there is. If you look at it, like I said, they're trying to do a crowdfunder at the moment. It's on Sega's official website, shop.sega.com. And apparently they need to sell a thousand of these before July the 12th. Otherwise, they're not going to get made. This is weird. So a crowdfunder on Sega's own site. That's, yeah. That's interesting. For a toaster. <laughs> so do you want to hear the, uh, the description on the, uh, the page here on Sega's website? Yeah, you've got to do it in a radio voice, Dan. Right. Go on. Are you tired of the same old toast? Do you find yourself constantly on the go and need a quick breakfast fix before you go out to collect those rings? Well, do we have the toaster for you? We only need to sell 1,000 toasters to make this happen, so make sure you pick one up to tell your friends about this. Got to toast fast. I'm Barry Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but it does. I, there is something that makes me want one of these, as naff as it is. And again, we've heard stories in the past about, like, you know, companies that kind of do just slap their logo on anything. Yeah. To get it and make a quick book. But I think there is something quite cool about that. The fact that you could be one of only a thousand people to own a Sonic the Hedgehog toaster that burns Sonic's head into your toast in the morning. It might motivate you in the morning to get out to work quicker. You never know. So, <laughs> but if it, you know, a thousand people don't buy it by this time next month, it ain't going to happen. So uh, if you do want to back that, we'll pop a link in this week's Got show. Got a toast fast. God. <laughs> <laughs> At theretrohour.com. Right then, well, let's find out how you can make it. Maybe, you know, you don't want to go to work in the morning. You want to stay at home and make videos all day and earn income off it. You want opportunities to work with companies like Sega. Or even get your own beer launched. Yeah, well, we're going to find out all about that because this week's special guest recorded live at Play Expo in Glasgow last weekend. Let's hear from DJ Slopes from Slopes Game Room and Kim Justice all about how to be a retro gaming YouTuber. So, hello, Play Glasgow. We are going to be doing a YouTube panel today. So we have two wonderful YouTubers with us today. Could you introduce yourselves and uh, let everybody know what you do on your channel? Hey, uh, I'm Kim Justice. I do documentaries about old computer companies mainly. Commodore, Cinemaware, Sensible Software. Oh, that's coming up. As well as various other weird bits of like, British memorabilia like i've got mr blobby coming so that's basically the sort of level i'm at and yeah that's me pretty much that's my existence i just watched that mr blobby video that's really good i like that one <laughs> yes hi guys uh i'm daniel Robertson, aka dj slope from slopes game room uh the two main series on my channel are the complete history series where i look into the complete history of lots and lots of different video game franchises. Uh, F-Zero is the next one that I'm working on, which I'm quite excited about. And uh, the other one that I do is Kick Scammers, where I shine some very much unwanted light onto some really nasty people that rook people on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and stuff like that, uh, among a few other videos as well. But that's my channel in a bag right there. Well, I'm uh, Ravi from the Retro Hour podcast, and we do a weekly podcast, so this is out every week, and we like to talk to the people. So each podcast, we always get a guest on and kind of go to the source and talk about um, their kind of experiences. Now, the first question is, have you ever been to Scotland before? Is this your first time? Yep, this is my complete first time being here. Uh, never been here before until yesterday. I've been to Scotland a couple of times, but only to, to an auntie's house. So it doesn't really go much further from th than that one house. So I've not been to this Glasgow area uh, ever before. Cool. So let's start talking about your channels. So do you think it's important to have a diverse mix of content on your channels? Uh, I think it's incredibly important. I think it's incredibly important because I, I, as a creator, like when you're doing something like where it is, like for instance, me, if I'm doing the complete history, every so often I have to do something else to try and give myself a bit of a break. <laughs> give myself a little bit of a break and um, uh, you know that's why I've got the kick scammers that's a bit more of a fun thing for me to do you know let my hair down a little bit uh, yeah I, I think it's incredibly important and also if you just do one thing forever pe the, the audience will get bored exactly I mean I think I mean especially when you're first starting out even it's so important to like completely diversify what you're doing all the time because mm -hmm. when you start out on YouTube like you've got to find what you're good at Yes. Like it took me ages to like find like the yeah, sort of documentary style that yeah. I ended up getting. Yeah. Um, and if you keep on looking at the same thing all the time, it's like, oh, here's another company where you know they did a few good games, then everyone got greedy, they started doing whatever, and then they went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. 
you kind of sometimes feel like you're repeating yourself. So I always end up doing like these weird things at times, like I did like an Oasis documentary. So it's like kind of kind of a suggestion for my girlfriend as well, who's kind of a fan. Just thought, yeah, why not? Just things like that is kind of always evolving and like essentially it's throwing snot at a wall and seeing what sticks. Because I was going to say, do you sticks like strictly in the gaming world or as you said, you've done an Oasis documentary so that's mm. kind of out of there. Was some of your audience annoyed with that? or? Um, no. Um, it was certainly like quickly. I mean, it wasn't, as, it wasn't as successful, I guess, as like some of the other stuff that I did but you don't know if it's going to be successful until you try. Um, obviously, it was very different. I mean, I do like wrestling stuff as well, which tends to often be quite successful because, you know, gaming and wrestling interests is is pretty similar. So stuff like that tends You've to work. You've still got your, your your style to it, though, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I noticed the Mr. Blobby video. That is a Mr. Blobby sort of rise and fall, but then you've also added in there about the game as well. So it's still got that... A oh, classic yeah. Kim Justice feel, even Definitely. though you're 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 branching out a little bit, yeah. So it's kind of about like telling a story almost, no matter like what it's about. If if you were a YouTuber and you were kind of starting out, do you think it's really important to have a series and to keep those series up and have multiple series, or or, or just do totally random videos? At first, um, I. Yeah, maybe try a little bit of different things here and there because, you know, you have that idea in your head exactly what you want to do. And you can do what I do and just basically just sit there for about three years trying to perfect that one idea over and over and over until you finally release that one video. And it was the biggest regret for me just not starting earlier on. And uh, yeah, yeah, basically if you look at my channel's history and when I opened it up, there was about a three-year gap from the day I started it to the day I uploaded my first video because I was just so nervous about that one video. You should just... Do what you want to do. Do what sounds enjoyable. Don't 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 nitpick so much over when you first very start a video. Just tr yeah. try different things until you find uh, what's right for you. Yeah, you've got to jump in, really. What's kind of the thing I find that no matter what you do or how diverse you want to be, when you start doing something, is to try and be as consistent with it as you can. Like, not like that you have to do it like all the time. Like you've got to upload every day. You've got to upload every week. Like even if you upload like every fortnight, every month. If it's, you know, if you hone like the quality of something mm -hmm. and it becomes consistent, then that's, that's how it. you build the, 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 the consistency as a thing. Yeah. Um, have you had any reactions, say, I know Slopes, you cover a lot of games and you do the complete game histories. Yeah. Have you ever had any of the guys who've created the games commenting on those videos? Oh, yes, yes. Well, the big one for me was when I done Echo the Dolphin, which is... It, that, that, that's so important to my youth because I wanted to I wanted to talk about Echo the Dolphin for such a long time, and when I eventually did, um, Ed Anunziata, the guy who actually created Echo the Dolphin, put out a tweet. I really liked the video, and he became a Patreon of mine. And I'm like, wow, what an absolute honour! Like that's incredible. I've had um, uh, the guys who made Zombies Ate My Neighbours uh, got hold of me and showed me concept art for Zombies Ate My Neighbours too. I'm still trying to get hold of them to show me more than these two images because it's really hard to make a video on two images. So he says <laughs> yes, he's going to come back and we're going to make a proper video about this long-lost forgotten sequel that never got anywhere. Um, there are others. Um, I'm being really bad not remembering them. But yeah, I, I get it every so often. Uh, it, oh, oh, and um, uh, the Crash Bandicoot one. I actually had the guy who made Crash Twin Sanity get hold of me and he's shown me all of the concept art for Crash Twin Sanity. So in time there will be a, uh, a complete history on that one game because that was a very different game in its concept days. So, yeah, all to come, all to come. These things take time. <laughs> uh, what about you, Kim? Yeah, I've had a few myself. I've, I've had a few, like, company bosses, like, from the past. Um, probably one of the big ones for me, especially when I was kind of early on, was uh, Ian Heverington, who um, used to run Psygnosis. So... No, all the games they used to do, Shadow of the Beast and all that. And he actually commented, like, saying that he's very happy with, like, the history. I had, um, for the CinemaWare video that I just did, I had a few names from there. Bob Lindstrom, Doug Sharp, who worked on kind of Chicago Defender of the Crown. Probably one of the most memorable ones for me was one that ha happened in person um, at the last Play Expo in Blackpool. Clive Townsend, uh, oh, yeah. a guy, yeah. introduced himself to me. And uh, Clive Townsend, I don't know if anyone in... He knows him. Like he did a saboteur for the Spectrum, which is a very famous, like old Spectrum game. 
that's how he'd normally probably introduce himself to people. He'd say, hi, I'm Cloud Tanzend. You might remember me from Saboteur. Uh, he introduced himself to me as saying, hi, I'm, Clint, I'm Clive Townsend, and I did the Game Gear port of Rise of the Robots, which <laughs> I covered and said was horrendous. Basically, it was, one of the, it was the worst port of an already bad game. So I, I, kind of, I was kind of looking at, right, where's the exit? <laughs> but he, he, he said, yeah, no, it was, it was a total disaster. <laughs> well, how important is it to also have different social networks, have different networks like Patreon, and stuff to support your YouTube channel. Patreon is, at this moment, Patreon has kind of gone from being a side thing for YouTubers to pretty much the most consistent way of getting support for the channel. Because, I mean, the thing with YouTube, like ad revenue-wise, I mean, ad revenue used to be such a big thing. We're talking, like, what, six years ago for YouTubers. I mean, the people who got really rich just on ad revenue alone. And now you can't have that. You've got to diversify because ad revenue with the uh, adpocalypse that happened last year uh, is so up and down. Um, so Patreon is incredibly important, especially to, you know, folks like, folks like me and Slope, like with the sort of following that we have. I mean, it's not necessarily as big a following as, I don't know, KSI or whatever. Spoonie or something. Yeah. It, it, it's not that, but... The people who do follow us are very strong fans of us and they help us do what we do. And uh, having stuff like putting your stuff out on Instagram as well and stuff like this, does this bring in extra audiences? That you I'm quite no, I'm, we're both quite new to Instagram, actually, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I'm literally new as of two hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> I've only got about 20, 30 images on Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's really important to learn each social media. For me, uh, Twitter has been the ultimate, ultimate... Uh, way to, 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 to build up your audience. If it wasn't for Twitter, I wouldn't know Larry Bundy. If it wasn't for Twitter, I wouldn't be in constant conversation with people like Ashins. Uh, yep. I, I talk to you sometimes on there. Yep, uh, totally. Alpha Omega Sin, me and him talk quite a lot at the moment, all via Twitter. Twitter is absolutely key, in my opinion. It's so important. It's so important. I mean, I've got, I want to say, maybe 18,000 on Twitter and about 1,000 on Facebook. Um, and that, that's, that's one of my aims is to try and push up my Facebook presence a little bit more uh, because I do realise sometimes you know I'll, put, I'll post that old oh, new video is up or whatever on Twitter and uh, wherever else on Patreon or whatever and then oh I forgot to do Facebook because you know I've only got a thousand <laughs> people over there and when I do I do see a small little influx so it is really important to get your, yourself in all of those uh, key different areas and also a little bit taboo I would say don't shy away from looking up uh, social media hacks as long as they're done the right way. There are there's really scummy ways of doing social media hacks and then there's really good ways of doing them. As an example, the whole follow on follow thing that can happen on Twitter. Um, you see it all the time. When you see accounts with wow, look at the size of this account following me with 50,000 people uh, if, uh, you know, followers and then you realise, oh, they're actually following 100,000. So it's a little bit of a <laughs> yeah. crazy dead account. But the important thing to do with that sort of thing uh, for me, little Twitter hack, what I did in my early days is when you are following people that are influential, that are looking up things that you've already done videos on, maybe Streets of Rage, Golden Axe in my early days, when they're coming back to you and following you, it takes a lot of time out of your day, but you've got to talk to them. You've got to, you know, the, that's the reason I started YouTube, to be able to talk to people about retro gaming. So when someone is kind enough to follow you, uh, talk to them. You know, like, oh, I see you're into that sort of thing. It's only going to be a matter of time before they're looking at your channel and stuff. And you, you, I've got so many friends doing that. So, so many friends doing that. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it's putting the work in all the time and just always being approachable as well, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can never, I mean, so, there, I won't say any names, obviously, that's not <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. But some people, you know, are not approachable at all. And I always kind of think that's a cardinal sin, especially when, you know, essentially, like, you come to YouTube as a normal person eventually you should leave it the same way. Do, do you think YouTube's kind of grown up in its content? When it initially started out, it was very kind of a... I remember my friends going to YouTube and then saying, do top 10 videos. That was literally the thing for about 10 they years. They are still pretty yeah. important, though. You, don't have, you can be a bit more clever than just top 10. You can be... Like, for instance, my kick scammer videos are essentially top five videos, but they're not. If they're in segments, they really, really work. Um, Larry does it a lot of the time with his fact hunt stuff. I mean, they're not top tens or top fives. They're just segmented videos, you know. Yeah. Um, it, 
yeah, I'm getting into the nitty gritty of YouTube now, but mm. it makes people want to continue watching to see what the next one is. Yeah, and the good thing about segmenting videos, you've got two three-minute videos, one after another. So if mm. you don't like that one, you've only got to wait about a minute before the next one comes in. Exactly. Yeah. And um, it's like, it's like again, for me, like with my narrative style, like breaking it up like that is like chapters in a story. Is that how yes, I think yes. Yeah. How important is it to get accurate research and facts? Because we know about YouTube comments and... People love to kind of destroy a video if it's not Oh, accurate. you forgot this. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. I, I, I made a mistake on my latest um, Space Harrier video uh, when I was showing off the ports of Space Harrier. Um, I showed a couple of the home, con uh, the home computer ones and accidentally slipped in a couple of Space Harrier 2 gameplay footage rather than the original Space Harrier. Little mistakes happen, but when you do it, uh, don't be offended. You know, actually, I, I, I've now used... I, I call my videos the complete history, and if there's something I've missed out or there's something that I've made a mistake on, which thankfully doesn't happen too often, but you know it does happen from time to time, put 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 a put a, uh, a bit of information in the description, in the comments, that sort of thing. Again, that's just building up relationship with the people that are coming to your video and know it's enough about that sort of thing to. Yeah, it's it's important to like get that swan, but it's not the end of the world as long as you're like oh okay, I'll, you know, and you can use that for next time. I mean, I've made a fair few flubs in my time I called uh, the late Patrick Moore Sir Patrick Moore um, an astrologer once and not an astronomer made out like he was Mystic Meg or something and I got absolute. and that was in a video that I did on Games Master so as you can imagine I got utterly creamed for it <laughs> also um, crediting other people's work as well is that massively important supporting other YouTubers when you're using their things as a source Yes, uh, I've, I've really started hitting that a lot more recently. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, it is it's, it's super important. Um, try and do it as early on as you can, because when you don't, I didn't as much in the beginning. Now I'm, I'm, I'm taking up a lot of my time going back and trying to find where I did get this information, because when people do ask, what is that song you're using for that? And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. You know so you have to, it, yeah, it, it is important. Um, yeah, very important. It's openness again, and it helps to create relationships. I mean, I, I tend to try and, like, use, like, or, like, everything, like, as, aside from music, obviously, which I often, like, use game songs and that. I mean, I used to, I kind of got lax with that because I always used to have, like, song lists and that. But um, if I have to use, like, archive stuff, I always try and, you know, credit or, if needs be, get permission how important is, as you mentioned, working with other YouTubers as well and collaborating to help your channel grow and keep keeping those connections? I love doing that as much it's as I so possibly can. I love doing that. And for me, it's not just about the fact that the importance of collaboration. I don't like the idea, and I've said it to you many times, of just being known as Dan, that guy with you know, Kim and Nostalgia Nerd and all these other people. I, like, I do yeah, like to yeah. try and venture out as much as possible. You know, I do get people like Game Day from the States. Mm -hmm. and I've had invoice some of my stuff. I have even really small channels like Synth Spaces from Australia. Comments mm. uh, has done some voices in my channel. You know, I, I, I like, you know you're, you're, you're putting your product out, your product, but you're putting your videos out to a worldwide audience. So don't just stick into like one little crew. Try and get as many people as you can that are interested in your channel to collaborate with you. Yeah, it's super important. It's super important. Yeah, I've made a lot of um, kind of doing things like the other way, like appearing a lot on other people's videos, um, kind of for smaller YouTubers, people like On The Stick, who does like a series called like Same Name, Different Game. Uh, one of my friends, like Cindy, who does game shows from the States. Um, people like that um, a popular like 40k channel like Warhammer I kind of did a video for them when they were doing like a gaming series like things like that kind of because it helps like pay it forward like we kind of both help get our names out in that way I used to do that quite a lot a couple of years ago and I still try and get into it now and that's the obvious thing that comes off the back of it isn't it like you get if me and you collaborate on a video mm. you'll retweet that I'll re you know I'll put the tweet out originally yeah. it's just it's more exposure. It's easy mm. stuff. It's, it, it, it goes about saying, and also for me, I like the idea it breaks up my videos. When I'm doing an hour-long video, adding some extra voices in there doesn't make it feel like an hour-long video. Yeah, <laughs> and streaming as well can be a good way to do this sort of thing as well, even if it's not necessarily a collaboration on a video, but I know you pop into my stream, yeah, I pop exactly. into your stream, you know, we have a chat and people become aware that originally weren't. So YouTube, you get 
sometimes some quite negative comments and the community doesn't tend to be the most positive on YouTube. How do you cope with this and kind of, uh, you know, take it with a pinch of salt? It used to affect me a lot more back in the earlier days. I mean, because there's always been... I mean, the thing with bad comments, like, it's like the sort of people who leave them, like, insulting ones, they're always going to pick on something. They'll pick on the way you talk, they'll pick on any little thing about the way you look, like, no matter what. Like, you could be a hulking Adonis-like GQ model. They'd still pick up on something because that's just what they do they look for reactions um you know it's been six years now and i mean there's very little anyone could say to me so it's just like yeah ignore they don't even deserve a response i i i, I tend to try and respond to them so <laughs> basically if, if someone's being like heavily negative and like you know maybe you get like the odd racist comment and all that sort of thing i will delete those comments and potentially possibly block comments and they won't even know they've been blocked and they'll keep posting it and they'll never know that they're not being seen so I'll remove those ones in the future and I've, I haven't got that many maybe 10 20 people which isn't that bad um, but if someone you get you get someone like for instance I told you about this the space harrier thing if I uh, put up the wrong footage I get the odd person who's like, oh, I don't know if you realize you put the wrong thing there like, that, that's fine that's constructive criticism but then you'll get someone on the other end like oh my god you put up space harrier 2 footage you don't know nothing you should die and all this sort of stuff but when you reply to that person oh my god I didn't realize I'm doing I do apologize when you become a bigger youtuber they tend to just completely change their their, their attitude they end up oh my god I didn't realize you'd reply I'm so sorry I didn't mean to be negative I'm like no that's cool man and then all of a sudden now you've got a fan you know that's gonna be nice to you kill um, with kindness in it yeah it doesn't always work but it does sometimes I try and reply as much as I can well uh, we've talked about you guys but who do you follow like uh, which youtubers are you watching at the moment I try to follow a whole like, diverse range of things. I mean, not all the stuff that I watch on YouTube is like stuff that's relative to me. Like, and what I do, I watch. I watch a lot of food stuff. I know, um, but I, I, I like to watch like people going on like food tours and that. Um, and again, I kind of tend to get stuff from that. There might be something that I might pick up, whether it's a vlog or some silly comedy video or something like an LGR or a tech moan who is closer in spirit to what I do. Obviously, um, I'm always, I, I try to be as connected to the YouTube world as I can, even if it's not necessarily stuff that is necessarily my thing. I try to be aware of what's going on, so I end up watching a lot of YouTube when really I should perhaps be doing my own videos, but yeah, it's, it's the balance. It's, uh, I mean, other than the obvious, really obvious ones that, you know, like I say, that we've become that English, the British click sort of thing with. Yeah. Uh, nostalgia, Top Hat Gaming, all that yeah. stuff. The obvious people that I do subscribe to like that. The, the, the big channels for me, um, I, I, I like to do this thing um, every year where I, do, I try and shine a bit of light on 10 YouTubers under 5K that I really like. So throughout the whole year, I'm looking for those YouTubers. And sometimes, it doesn't matter, it's almost daily actually, people send me suggestions. So I have a, a list of uh, this sort of WordPad thing open up with about 50 YouTube channels that are essentially going to be in this next video. Um, so I'm always watching their content to see what they continue because some on there are absolutely incredible, but they'll put a video out and then they'll just disappear. So unfortunately, off the list, you know. So for me, I, I, so so many YouTubers, uh, too many to name. I was talking to someone last night, our LGSQ, um, who does. Um, uh, the complete history of, <laughs> essentially, the complete history <laughs> of uh, uh, of teddies or plush dolls. But oh, to wow. do with like, like he was like, this Sonic um, plush never came out, and he'll go into like this mental history, like, oh my god, there's a history behind this sort of thing. Like <laughs> this Cheo teddy never came out, and I just find it really weird and obscure <laughs> that someone goes into that amount of depth. Um, yeah, that's someone that I've done recently. Um, mm. Yeah, th there's way too many to name. You can talk about anything, but if you make it interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lazy Game Reviews is absolute king at that. He does 20, 30-minute videos on calculators. That On paper, that is not interesting, but it's so interesting. Mm. Uh, I think one of the first videos that really made me want to become a YouTuber is when he done one, I think it was about 18 minutes long, all about copy protection. That isn't interesting on paper, but it is such a great video. I've watched it maybe four or five times. I love it. Um, yeah, Lazy Game Reviews is one of the best out so there. How important is branding and having a consistent image? Because I know YouTube, a lot of those thumbnail images are the main kind of attractors for people. 
Yeah, um, I, I've not gone down the route of, you know, putting my face in the corner of a video and, like, showing the shocking, oh, my God, the Atari VCS or whatever it may be. Um, but it, is, it does work, and it is important. You know, I, I, I do things the other way around. I have the complete history as a particular style for every single title card, you know, and uh, I'll make sure that all of my kick scammers videos have a particular uh, uh, color scheme and um, little things like making sure that they're, that they're shading around certain edges to make it bounce out at you and uh, I mean my, my Slopes Game Room logo is quite a simple logo but very effective I feel uh, it's just blue on white and it jumps out at you um, find something that does jump out at you not something generic that you've got someone on Fiverr to make for you do something that really does jump out and use it from then on yeah I think it's important and the same I... fonts as well I notice you always have the same font on your lettering and yeah, that triple F forward is the one I use on the inside and this is impact yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, oh sorry yes um, I'm, I'd, I like to make my thumbnails like eye catching like use a lot of like different things but I mean consistent branding I mean I've had how many logos have I yeah, had yeah you now? was even talking to me the other day about doing it again and wasn't I'm, you and, and, so, <laughs> and someone came with like offering to potentially do another so it's like I'm, I'm not necessarily a consistent brand sort of person like you are. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I mean, I did change it up. You, you wouldn't notice that. But I think if you look at my earlier videos, so actually, yeah, if you look at the Streets of Rage video and everything up until about uh, the story of Bobo, um, I went through this weird phase of using this blue lettering and I realized it just wasn't jumping out. So I yeah. changed it and that was it. Mm -hmm. um, I made a video about that, actually, I think. Yeah. Well, both of you, your channels have led on to some exciting opportunities and uh, really interesting stuff. So uh, first, let's talk about Kim. You've got work with Retro Gamer magazine. So yeah, what have you I've been writing for them? I've done like, various things. Um, one of my the favorite things I did for them, I did like, a big like A500 article for them, which was kind of the main part of one of the issues. Like, I had to like get in touch with quite a lot of people, people like uh, Chris Horsbeck, uh, Jeff Porter, who's one of the original designers, and sort of doing that was good. I mean, I tend to write a lot of things like minority reports, like overviews of like underrated games for systems. And I also I also write a lot for um, another website called Retronauts, which is again kind of a, a daily thing for me. Just to did, did you ever think you'd be uh, kind of from YouTube getting in a situation where you can go into a shop and read an article about you <laughs> that no. you've written? No, no it just, YouTube for me just started as something I did in between years at uni when I was doing a video production degree and looking to get in the industry. Um, I thought, well, I need to keep my sort of editing and video and That's a creating. good way to start as well, I think. That's a great way to start. Don't take it straight away thinking that you're going to make it a job. Do it no. as a hobby. Yeah. Make no. it enjoyable. You've Do got it to you, please yourself first. You have to Absolutely. enjoy it. Uh, YouTube as a job, you know, it, it's, it's good in parts, but it's also, it can be difficult work. You've been your own boss essentially and for a lot of people who especially if they try to do it as a job from the beginning it doesn't work out they don't really get they don't really take a chance to find what they're good at um and they struggle and they and as soon as they think oh i can't find an audience that's often when they give it up you have to do it you have it's very much a good idea to start like part-time as opposed to just jump into the ocean and uh, also Slopes, I know you've uh, launched a beer, which is kind of crazy. We're going to be going to the launch next week, which yeah, should be exciting. I've got my own beer coming out. It's crazy. All these, these things lead to different... What different does it points. taste like? I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. It, uh, it arrived at my house back in Kent about an hour after I got on the train to come here. So I'm super gutted. Otherwise, I would have thrown cans out like... Like a rock star. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, it's just so important to go to as many of these events as, as, as possible. It is, yeah. You know, if, you're, if you work in a sales job, which I do outside of this, which hopefully not for too long. hope, hope my manager doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's great to just uh, uh, to socialise and, 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 and network. It sounds really scummy now where I'm going with this, but it's sort of true. Like, I mean, so the way it works is I, I went to uh, an anime con, uh, met up with an old DJ friend from Download Festival where I, I used to DJ, 
Um, got a chat to him. He knew a guy at a brewery. His, this, his mate at the brewery said, oh my God, you should check out this guy called Slope's Game Room. He goes, I know Slope's Game Room. And he handed me the phone and I was like, hey there guys, this is DJ Slope. And he, oh my God, you're you. And then next thing you know, I've got my own beer coming out basically. So yeah, all these things just lead somewhere. And, and also it's just really enjoyable to come along and talk to like-minded people about video games. It's yeah, awesome. That's, that's the fun thing about it at the end of the day. Like we've all... We all have similar interests. Absolutely. So it's not really like, you know, trying to suck up to someone who you have no interest in what they do at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and for me, I mean, that's pretty much the reason I started YouTube, because I've got a lot of friends that are into gaming, but, um, you know, nothing against my, 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 my friends outside of the YouTube world. I mean, when I talk to them, it really doesn't go much further than Mario. Did you know Mario? Doki Doki Panic, that sort of thing. There's not really much outside of that and I knew these very interesting or to me very interesting stories about Alan Sugar and the whole um, uh, Roland character and stuff and I wanted to make a video about that and when I did I got a really good response and that sort of thing and, and it's like going to these events I get to talk to people about that stupidly obscure stuff that you know if my wife was there she'd be really wound up that she has to listen to it for the 50th time <laughs> well kind of seeing that uh, retro stuff's getting quite mainstream at the moment Sega have actually um got you two on board and uh, you're both working together with them so yes. could you uh, tell us more about that first talk about what was it Primark wasn't it they did a, a yeah, launch at Primark of the uh, <laughs> gaming range stuff that must have been weird <laughs> uh, yeah so that, that, that wasn't Sega related but basically yeah it was actually I went along to one of these events again how important it is to go to these events uh, the, the, the person that runs these guys a guy called Andy put me in contact with someone um, it wasn't at Primark it was at Diffused yeah. yeah, yeah, Diffuse, Diffuse which yeah. is basically the the BioWorld people that make like Mega Drive wallets and things. Um, and yeah, that before you know it, they said, "Did you want to come to Primark for like an event?" I didn't even know what I was going to. It was such an obscure thing, but mm. it was it, cool. It, def it definitely came out of the blue, didn't it? It was very strange. One of the mm. weirdest things I've done. Um, it, it was crazy, but it was still great. I got to meet people there, you know, asked to have mm. pictures and all that sort of stuff. And we played Pac-Man with random people that liked my channel. It was really cool. Yeah. I find having a mainstream retailer, you know, paying a, such a focus to retro gaming is uh, showing how popular it's getting. Oh, majorly, you know? majorly. Definitely. And the thing is, it isn't just the obvious retro gaming. Yes, you do have Sonic and Mario and stuff like that. But, I mean, this is sort of obscure, like, to a degree. You, only really, you have to Things be like of a certain age. I mean, there was people there with Commodore 64 T-shirts that they were selling and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, that's not, that's not main mainstream, is it? You know, no, like, no. It's probably know. what... In the retro world, it would be considered, but not like Mario, Sonic. They, they finally got Nintendo. something in those shops for the dads to not have to sit down and look bored. They can go and chill out in the... <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to the gaming section. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, they, they invited us along. It was a quality day. Yeah, it was really good. So what about Sega then? You guys at the HQ and uh, what have you oh. been doing with them? Uh, well, actually, I suppose we can pretty much talk about it all now from what we've I done. Guess so, yeah. We, we, so we were, uh, we were under NDA, but that game he was being shown primarily is now out. Yes. So I think we're okay. There's the still a few connection. things that we can't talk yeah. about. But um, yeah, basically, the way it worked for me, again, looking at the fact how important it is to go to these events, I went to a data disc record party, the people that make those Streets of Rage records and all that sort of thing in London. It was just, you know, anyone could go, and I went along. I met up with the guys, they like my channel, because obviously I'm always reviewing their products. And they said, oh, by the way, that guy over there works at Sega. Whoa, straight over to him. Um, told him who I was, that sort of thing. He sent me an email, wow, I really like your stuff. He even gave me some advice. Um, uh, over time, it took a little while, he started sending me a few things through the post like, to talk about. It was, it was actually their, their mobile game division. Um, and I assume it's come from that, but now other people at Sega know who I am. And he goes, oh, don't be too, a random guy adds me on Facebook. Uh, don't be surprised, uh, but Sega have just started following you on Twitter. And I'm like, whoa, like a million uh, subscribed channels. As a Sega me. fan, you must have <laughs> I, I was yeah. ringing up my wife who doesn't care about any of this. Like, oh, my God, Sega are following me. Sega are following me. Um, you know, time, time passed. And he goes, um, do you know what an NDA is? I'm like, yes. Uh, so I signed it. Next thing you know, I'm going up to Sega's offices and... I was genuinely shaking with excitement because I had that, that image in my head of wanting to go and sit, go to Sega and seeing all the pictures of, you know, Michael Jackson <laughs> and Sega and all this other stuff when I was a kid. And I finally went there and it was an absolute dream come true. Uh, they yeah, got to show definitely. us off the, the Mega Drive collection before it came out, which was practically finished at the time. Um, 
uh, I, was, I was playing Sonic the Hedgehog in Sega's offices in London in a big building with a big Sega logo on it. I was, uh, it's amazing. And we, and we still keep in contact all the time. Um, yeah. Hopefully going up there again to talk about something else uh, within the next week. Um, uh, yeah, they've really opened themselves up. It was really cool. Well, I saw a stream that you did from one of the offices at Sega, and it was like themed like a World War... Uh, yeah, two bunker. They have. They have. Um, basically, they've got meeting rooms for um, their franchises. So yeah, that was a company of heroes room, and they've got like a Total War one, which is kind of similar. They've got a football management one, which um, that's actually a bit more basic. I mean, what what can you do with it? I don't know. Make it like a football locker room or something. Um, but I mean, I also did. Um, st- I got into also got into contact with uh, Sega, also primarily for uh, Retronauts. Um, because um, they wanted me to do something on a two-point hospital. And so I kind of got in there and... Uh, That's the new uh, theme hospital new, um, yeah, kind new, of game. Um, yeah. theme hospital kind of game made by the same people. And so they got me in. I was able to like interview like Gary Pitt, not Gary Carr, and uh, the other guys like made it and sort of put out a preview on that on my channel. It's kind of like... Kind of like being a proper journalist. (laughs) That's amazing. So before we um, get questions from the audience, we'll do the kind of final question, which is, uh, do you have any tips that you would give to a new new YouTuber? Like, what's your top tip? Expect the unexpected. You never know what's going to happen with YouTube. I just think it's so important to take it as as something enjoyable in the beginning. Um, I'm looking at it from the point, a lot of people want to start YouTube because they want to earn money off YouTube and make it their job. Uh, I didn't earn money on YouTube for well over a year, but I still de- dedicated so much of my time doing it. And I didn't look at that time dedicating it like, oh, I've got to go to work. I genuinely enjoy staying up until two in the morning researching Shinobi or something. Like, I, I like doing that sort of thing. And, 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 and that's what you've got to do. You have to look at it like a hobby. Um, you're going to get... You're going to get bummed out from time to time. Like I, I make a Streets of Rage video that does incredible. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a Golden Axe video and nobody watches it. And I'm like, and I, I remember going to forums like, why aren't people watching my video? And, you know, like, you, 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 yeah, you, you're going to be like that from time to time, but try not to be. Just try and make it just an enjoyable job that, I, you know, technically only you are going to watch. Yeah, you never quite know, like, what's going to, like, be big. I mean, like, again, something like going back to, like, the Oasis film, I think, well, that could be a big subject, popular band. Um, and then something that doesn't uh, doesn't really do it. But then one time, um, one of my patrons requested um, to do a video on the Aliens arcade game. Um, I thought, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, did it. It's <laughs> nothing. And for whatever reason, that kind of went through the roof. And really had my following. So little things like that. So that's kind of what I mean by like, expect the unexpected. Like yeah. you don't know how it's going to play out. You never out. know which video will explode. You yeah. don't know. You don't know. It, it's crazy. I, I did. I did Grand Theft Auto: The Complete History, thinking that that oh everyone knows Grand Theft Auto will do so well, but it's done all right. I don't know, like seventy, eighty thousand on that. But if you compare that to something like Splatterhouse, which not as many people know about, but Splatterhouse is absolutely astronomically blown up. I realise now it's because I've got a lot of competition with Grand Theft Auto, and not many people have done the complete history of yeah. Splatterhouse. But yeah, you don't know. You, you you learn as you go along, I suppose. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And can we get a round of applause for our uh, lovely YouTubers? Thank you. If you guys have questions, I'll run around with the mic and uh, try and not fall over on this uh, kind of slopey thing. I'll just come through. Won't be a sec. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm Zenbloke, as you can probably tell. I've been tubing for about five, six years. I've done everything I can think of. I'm on podcasts with people. I twitch on a regular basis. Uh, I've got my own Redbubble store for merchandise. I'm on Twitter like all the time. I talk to people in person and on online. I go to events in this t-shirt with my QR code on the back. <laughs> I advertise myself like a madman, but I try not to be like spammy. I'm out of ideas, but what else can I do? Because I've been doing this for like ever. And I've got like 255-ish subscribers. And I'm not like for the money, because I know that will never happen, the algorithm continually screwing me. But yep. it would just be nice to feel like I'm no shouting in an empty room. Um, so you're on, what, 250 subscribers, roughly? About how, that, yeah. how often are you putting out videos? Um, generally speaking, most every week. Okay, okay. I mean, without okay. looking at the Obviously, channel. there are heavier times where I'll make two or three videos a week, and then sometimes there's like mm. nothing going on, and that might be like once a fortnight. But generally, as an average through the year, call it about once a week. Well, what's the sort of videos you're doing? Uh, all gaming related uh, reviews, views, unboxings, rants. Um, 
whatever comes to mind, really. I mean, I recently did a video where I, like, went round Edinburgh, because that's where I'm from, mm. and, like, took a series of locations and proposed the idea of Edinburgh being used for a, an open-world game, such as, like, Watch Dogs or Sleeping Dogs or whatever. But mm. I've done videos where I've been down to, like, to EVR, and I've worked with them, and I've showed off their business and what they do. I mean, I'm open to anything and everything, as long as it's gaming. Are you a lot, on, are you a lot like, facing the camera, like... Talking oh about yeah, I, I, I'm on is camera that what you mean? with that my, my gameplay mm. green screen behind me. So I'll tell you what works for um, someone like Top Hat Gaming Man in that sense. Instead of doing something something like whatever the game may be, review. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be going up against channels like IGN and oh. whoever it may, else it may I be. I get mm. stories before they do. <laughs> well, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but the, but in, instead of changing your title, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Ooh, but being a little bit clickbaity in the sense of yeah. instead of saying whatever the game is review, whatever the game is, is it better than Metroid? You know, like that sort of thing. Just trying to gain a little bit of interest on that clickable card. It uh, makes it's it more not, catching. It's not clickbait. I mean, so clickbait, uh, <laughs> before I really, really make myself sound bad, there's clickbait out there where it'll be like a pair of breasts and then you'll click it and there'll be nothing about that particular thing in the video or yeah. there'll be a big red arrow pointing at a circle and the video will have nothing to do with that. But being that, that, that that's the extreme and that's the clickbait that no one likes. So I've done one called the uh, John Rittman trilogy. No one knows who John Rittman is uh, at all unless you're really, really into retro gaming. But instead, I've done a video called, I, I changed the title of it uh, to the first ever Batman game ever released. And he, that's because he made the first Batman game release. And that instantly shot up the views uh, yeah. a, a year or so after it came out. Mm. Um, so don't be afraid of being a little bit clickbaity. Just don't go extreme with it. Get very good at social media. <laughs> and everybody subscribe to his channel yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. There you go. Everyone, everyone subscribe to Zenbloke. There you go. <laughs> How you doing, guys? Um, yep. you, you've always been doing YouTube for a number of years now, so you've seen... It kind of evolve as you've started to obviously where you are now and congratulations on your success do you think youtube has had its day for new starts and do you think twitch has had something to do with that um no because basically i i saw a lot of channels a lot of big name channels again won't name any but as soon as things like the Adpocalypse comes in with the little yellow badge and all this sort of thing, and oh, you, you have to have this certain amount before you earn money, as soon as that started happening, people ran off. And it did affect me, especially that yellow badge. I mean, I, mm. I lost a heavy amount of income from that, yep, like a big amount. Same. But instead of like not uploading for six months until YouTube sort themselves out, I just continued to do it. Mm. And I, I, I gained a bigger following. So in my head, I knew when they sort this out, yeah. um, it's going to help me out in the long run, and that's what's happened. Um, yeah, you got to think I, of the long-term picture. Yeah, I gained a, I gained a lot of subscribers last year because mm. I just continuously put out what I, I thought was the best I could do mm. uh, during that time. And I think that we're, we're still in this now, but it's just you know, constantly try and just don't, don't stop, don't stop. Mm. A lot of people do have knee-jerk reactions and don't necessarily think of like the bigger picture of things. Yeah. Hi there, um, hey, 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 big fan. Uh, like. Hey. Um, one thing I've always wondered is, do you find that you, when you come up with an idea that, say, another big YouTuber does, do you ever find deterred to then do your own style on it? Or um, would you just go ahead or potentially even open up the possibility of collaboration or whatever? Or um, I mean, it's different for every instance. Mm -hmm. I, I've been sitting on an unboxing of the video driver, the Sega video driver, for such a long time, which, if you don't know, is this little contraption that you put in front of your telly that has a little remote control car that you steer and it's a Sega thing um, and it plays a proper VHS tape and you have to follow a little white dot and that's how it tracks the game. Retro Man Cave done it. I, find, I, I unboxed it such a long time ago and then I never did the video and I'll, I'll do that one day. Mm -hmm. Retro Man Cave's done it and it's humongously done well for his channel. Like <laughs> YouTube themselves tweeted it out. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, I should have done that. Uh, you know, so for instance, in that one, um, I'm not going to do that video. Maybe I will but in a couple of years' time. Um, but, you know, we're all different personalities, and a lot of people subscribe because of personalities. Just yeah. bring your own personality to something and just do it your own way. Yeah, if someone big's done something, it's not necessarily the end if you, if you know that you can put your own spin on it. Hey, yeah. Um, so, like, out of all of your videos, which ones would you say are your, like, your favourite ones to do? My favourite one... I did a four-part series on Peter Molyneux. And that would be my favourite one. Um, <laughs> I had to... God. 
I would, I watched like so much stuff of Peter Monio, like we're going through his whole history, putting all like interview clips in, all sorts of things. It was like a long, it was quite a long process, like all told, like a good four months, yeah. I think, in the end. Um, but it was worth it. I mean, that's kind of become my signature, uh, probably. So I'd have to say that. That's a fantastic video. I like that one. I, I lost a lot of my day watching that back to back. For me, uh, again, it's that collaboration thing. I've done a video. Um, uh, I, I love finding out about a weird thing about history's past that no one really knows about. And I've done one on Johnny Turbo. So if you don't know, Johnny Turbo is the mascot uh, for the NEC. No. The uh, Turbo Graphics. Turbo, Turbo Graphics CD drive. And they made a comic book uh, based on um, this Johnny Turbo, basically this fat guy of a beard. He, he was a superhero for the Turbo Duo. And basically, he, um, uh, he was fighting Faker, not Sega. Uh, <laughs> um, because Sega were apparently going around telling everyone that we bought a CD system out first. And Johnny Turbo was out there to tell the kids, no, we bought it out first. It was such a stupid campaign. Uh, but I actually got Kim, I got Rerez, I got Larry Bundy, a guy from Retro Unlim, to all voice it together. And we just basically, I animated the comic and all that sort of stuff. And it easily, the best, for me, it's the best work I've ever done. And it was, I remember after I made it, oh no, just before I went on that, um, uh, before I went on live with these guys to record it, I actually made a video for my patrons. I went, guys, I, I think I've made it as a YouTube. I'm about to go on. Uh, a, a recording with Reverse Larry, that, and we're all going to be working together on this. This is insane. I just felt like that was the moment I made it as a YouTuber. Yeah. Definitely my favourite video. Uh, my question's maybe a bit off topic, but it was, of course, you've both got other loves. Kim, music's for you. And I don't think a lot of people know that Slopes is actually a big Disney fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a weirdly obsessive Disney fan. If you walk around my house, there's like there's stuff everywhere, all to do with Disneyland Paris. And uh, yeah, we went to Disneyland California um, for our honeymoon and went into Walt's apartment. If you don't know, Walt Disney himself lived above the fire station in Walt Disney in California. We got to go in there and it cost us a stupid amount of money to do it. Um, I've often thought, should I start doing the complete history of Disney movies? <laughs> If I did, I think it'd be another channel, don't worry. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much for your wonderful talk. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much, guys. Take care.